You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Monday afternoon edition of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. I'm Blaine Vietar filling in for Matt Mesh, who just made his nuptials over the weekend. So congratulations, Matt. We're going to hold down the fort for you while you continue to celebrate. My guy, James Mesh, on the other side of the glass is going to keep us all in check and keep everything as normal as possible for us. It has been a great weekend, kicking off the NFL season, second week of both high school and college, so a ton of stuff to get to on that aspect. Fantasy football started to happen, and oh yeah, we're knee-deep in baseball playoff races. So we're going to have a ton of fun on this Monday. Well, we can have fun on a Monday, right? It don't always have to be gloomy. Got some sunshine for once in South Louisiana, and it's football season, so ton to be excited about. We're going to kick off the show at 4.30 with guest, our boy Wilson. Alexander's going to join us of the Advocate in Baton Rouge, where we're going to talk all things LSU, the historical matchup against Southern on Saturday night, how that went, the after effects, and then what's to come this weekend as Mississippi State comes into Tiger Stadium as favorites. Yeah, you're right. Mike Leach's club just two years ago, I don't think I have to remind LSU fans, came in and did a number on the Tigers. Play pitch and catch all over the yard against LSU in that COVID season opening game. And then at straight up 5 o'clock, my guy Clint Domang of Under the Dome right here on 103.7 The Game is going to join us and we're going to talk some raging Cajuns. How did they overcome that slow start against Eastern Michigan and what's to come for them this week as they continue to march on in their season. And then at 5.30, my guy Alex Onstead of Saturday Down South is going to join us, and we're going to talk big picture, college football all around the country. It was a wild weekend. Two top 10 teams fell. Alabama played a close one, close, close, in a game they should have lost to Texas over in Austin. And, of course, Sunbelt. How about Sunbelt? So salty, huh? Beating Texas A&M in College Station. Beating Notre Dame in South Bend. So we'll talk to him about that and get a landscape of what college football season looks like. And, oh, we can't forget about those dirty birds. Huh? What the heck yesterday? Saints just kind of sleepwalk for three quarters, and all of a sudden they're like, okay, season started. It's our time. Come away with the victory yesterday in Atlanta. And if you head on over to the Twitter machine at Game Louisiana, you can answer our poll question. Who was the hero for the Saints in their comeback win against the Falcons? Was it Jameis Winston? Was it the defense, the O-line, or other? I'm shocked we got getting more love from Michael Thomas. I'm shocked from you, of all people, James. The creator of this poll question, MT comes back, kind of doesn't do much, non-existent for three quarters, and then, oh yeah, I'm here, I'm home, and balls out. Two tutties and a winner. And, and still not him, huh? It's the art of making a poll question. <laughs> you always sometimes got to purposely leave out somebody. That way it kind of sparks somebody to go in the comments and be like, well, how about Michael Thomas or how about Jarvis Landry? Hey, I mean, they both had really good games. Too, right, huh? Jarvis had a great game oh, yesterday, yeah. huge catch, set up the game-winning field goal. Nice to have Will Lutz back, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It not- was – 
with with Jarvis, he had two catches of thirty plus yards to set up scores to eventually help get the game in right for the Saints. My guy said, "Look, I'm not just a stick mover. I, I could I could get the football down the field out there balling out." And like I mentioned, having Will Lutz back was just huge. I mean, I I had no doubt in my mind he was going to make that kick at the end of the game. I, I didn't even sweat it. I knew it. I knew it was going in as soon as he kicked it. I think I got a little bit of a PTSD when it comes to <laughs> any time a quarterback throws deep down the field or any time a kicker kicks it, especially from last year. Well, did you see everybody yesterday? Miss kicks galore yesterday in the NFL. Oh, yeah. Even Evan McPherson. Yeah. I mean, all, a bunch of kickers were missing. It feels like every once in a while you'll have like maybe a week or two throughout the season where it's just like all the kickers just miss. It's weird. It's like they do it in bunches. Well, look, the, the deal with Cincinnati was a little bit different, right? Long snapper out. Yeah, they had their backup long right. snapper in. That was a, a little bit of an issue for them there. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, everybody. this is going to be knee-jerk reaction time, right? You, you got on the Twitter machine yesterday in the first half. Everybody was already writing off the Saints. You can see this, the same thing with Joe Burrow. You can see, you know, I mean, with Dallas last night. And, I mean, unfortunately for them, Dak Prescott's injured, so – might be a little bit more truth to it. Hey, calm down, people. These knee-jerk reactions, huh? Are you one of those guys, James, where you automatically got to have the take right now and, and get it out there and, you know, just just to, for the sake of saying it first? I really try not to be that guy because it's like it's week one. You're still trying to get your jitters out. You've, you've, you're so used to playing four preseason games, whereas now you're only doing three, so it almost feels the like starters week don't one. play at all. Most of the time they not don't. at all. Like, this is their first time they're getting out on the field. It's like, you got to give them like a week or two to like really get back to it because Joe didn't play at all during the preseason. No. So, you know, I mean, look, Joe was pretty awful yesterday. Four interceptions, fumble, got fumble sacked, lost, got sacked seven times. But still, gritty, gutsy, puts his team in position to win. Couldn't quite come up with the kicks when they actually needed it. And it's kind of ironic, like you mentioned. Evan McPherson was just a, I mean, it was money last year. He's a whole one of the big reasons why they were in the Super Bowl week one this year. Mm, no bueno. Can't get it done. But a lot of that, remember, is because of that deep snapper issues. Uh, same thing with Jameis. I saw a lot of Jameis hate along along the timeline on Twitter and Facebook. And a lot of knee-jerk reactions. A lot of people upset. Come on, guys. We've seen this before. Sit back and relax. Give it some time. And it just so it happened. I was more disappointed, I think, in the first half with with the Saints' defense. In a way, uh, they struggled stopping a, a very good running quarterback yesterday. Marcus Mariota looked like Marcus Mariota of old. Looked nifty on his feet. Great play calling too by Atlanta to get get him in opportunities to make plays. I I, I think that I might have been more disappointed with the defense in the first half. I I just. I wasn't that worried about Jameis quite yet. Let's go out to the game hotline and bring on Martin. Martin, what's going on on this Monday afternoon? Oh, not too much. Now, I don't know if you're aware of it. I'm a Cowboys fan, and like I'm I, sorry, uh, I told uh, James just now, the season's been nice. It was a great <laughs> year. I'm already looking forward to next year because. Uh, even if Dak Prescott, I'm so done with that with that cat being my quarterback. I'm just gonna go ahead and say this: uh, 
we need a dry, the variety on sweet steaks is not one, but I think we need to drive Will Anderson out of Alabama and then go ahead and get that tight end out of Georgia. Then we might be talking and get us a decent quarterback, maybe late in the draft. So you want but, to get three of the top ten players available? I, I got you, got you, Martin. Martin, what, what do you think about uh, sources saying Cam Newton being linked to uh, discussions with, with Dallas today? Are, are you for that? I didn't. I didn't even hear that. But uh, well, yeah, the season's definitely over if we got that cat <laughs> running our offense. Uh, but I'm a realist. But uh, I mean. Let's just say, okay, Dak Prescott comes back and he's a hundred percent. We get Michael Gallup back, and we still gonna make the playoffs. We're gonna lose in the first round. I mean, it's the same story each and every year. I mean, I'm, I've been following the Cowboys since I was knee high to a grasshopper, but I'm still knee high to a grasshopper. So I mean, it ain't nothing changed, you know. I mean, I. I was able to to enjoy their last Super Bowl win against the Steelers. But uh hopefully uh, my buddy over there, um or what's his name, the the produce the new uh the fill in uh in the morning, uh I can't think of his Moses is it Moses? Yeah. The one okay, hopefully he's doing a lot better than me, but I'm a, I'm gonna be a realist to him as a long time. Cowboys fan, the season's over, buddy. Don't get your hopes up because they'll just drown them in the playoffs. At least my Alabama Crimson Tide won. We, I like the uh, the horns down celebration after the game, you know, because Texas was talking a lot of trash. But what I enjoyed the most out of anything in the world this whole past weekend was uh, Appalachian State upsetting Texas A&M. That is so good, but Jimbo Slimbo. Nimbo Fisher. So that was so good for them. So they just better be ready when they come to Brian Denny Stadium because they thought that was bad what Appalachian State did to <laughs> Just wait till Alabama gets a hold of them. But uh, there's always next year. And uh, y'all have a good one. And thanks for taking my call, buddy. Appreciate the call, Martin. But look, one thing I like about Martin is he's he's realistic. A lot of these Dallas Cowboys fans, they they go and off the deep end, and, and they they think they're going to play for the Super Bowl each and every year. They haven't played for a Super Bowl since James was born, so it's uh, it's before, <laughs> before, before before you were born. Yeah, God, six. <laughs> that says a lot. Does we should have we should have asked Martin about what his opinion on about the 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 Cowboys fans throwing. Trash a Dak whenever he was walking off the field. Yeah, poor, doesn't surprise that me from that fan base though, right? <laughs> here's my thing: is like there's always there's always like good Cowboys fans and like bad fans of different franchises. So for me, it's like it's not a good look, but to me, that shouldn't ultimately like be the end all be all of a franchise's fan base. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it's like you're always gonna I, look, have I, you're always gonna have bad eggs and a. But for, it, for it seems like some fan bases just have a lot more bad eggs. I was gonna. It's, it's more. It's more spoiled ones in the batch, right? I agree, but it it's always the bad ones that come to light instead of the good ones. For sure, you never hear about the good well, stories. You know, I mean, social media makes uh, 
that more more they prevalent feed off the every negativity. day, you know. So, look, if you want to jump in and get on the game hotline with us and, and have a little bit of fun, you could always call us up at 337-706-0111. And he, he mentioned Texas A&M, and I, I wanted to get to that, and I think this is a good time. We were calling Texas A&M Texas 8-4 and four coming into the season, right? Jimbo always has this team that's ranked real high for – you know, a number of reasons because his recruiting classes and whatnot and just continues to fall on their face time and time again. Same thing with Notre Dame. Yeah. And, and we're going we're gonna to get to that soon. Yeah, we're going to get to that too. Mar- Marcus Freeman, 0-3 in his career so far as a head coach. Look, Texas A&M, it ain't getting easier, partner. This week, you're at home against Miami. Following week, you got to play Arkansas. Both of those teams are in the top 13 of the country. You follow that up with a trip to Mississippi State. Oh, by the way, Mike Leach and the Bulldogs coming to LSU this week. They're favorites against LSU on the road. Should tell you what they think about you know th- those Bulldogs. And then Alabama the week after on the road. You really got one cupcake matchup in, in there with, with, a, with a trip to South Carolina before welcoming Ole Miss home. So out of the next six games, five of them are against ranked opponents and Three of them are against top 13 teams. So you don't think Jimbo Fisher is, man, is getting awfully warm in that room. A lot of preseason expectations. Big-time recruiting class, number one in the country. Fall at home to App State in week two. And then five out of six weeks against ranked opponents? Sheesh. Texas 4-8 and eight before this is over with, huh? I, couldn't happen to a better group of fans, though, James. Couldn't happen to, to a better <laughs> group of people. Talk about a, a delusional fan base. Texas A&M fits that mold very nicely. I also think that you wanted to talk a little bit about Notre Dame. We're going to get deeper into that. Uh, every single year, we got to hear it from the national pundits. This is Notre Dame. They're back. You know, they're, you, know you hear about it all the time. They're on national TV each and every week. 0-2 to start the season. 0-3 in the Marcus Freeman coaching career as a head coach. And all the trash they talked about Brian Kelly. And look, I'm not going to get into that BS about Brian Kelly. You know, he was holding Notre Dame back. And, you know, you, you saw a lot, of, a lot of Notre Dame beat writers write something to that degree. <laughs> How you like that now, huh? I mean, look, LSU might have lost to Florida State, but a lot of those programs are throwing stones in week one the Floridas, the A&Ms, the Notre Dames of the world, <laughs> hey, be careful where you're throwing those stones. Weird how the script got flipped the next week. Yeah. Ken- Kentucky looked great. Oh, Kentucky. Like, look, I, I think Florida's going to be fine. I, I think that was not one of Billy Napier's finest moments in the second half of that ball game, the way he managed the clock and the play calling down the stretch. But he's going to be fine. Florida's going to be fine. That's a really good Kentucky team, a physical Kentucky team. They came to play. In the swamp on Saturday, they're gonna beat a lot of teams this year. I'm not gonna say they're gonna win the East. They're gonna they're gonna beat a lot of teams this year. I think that's a that's a good team. I think so too. I, I think that Florida was able to like come back down to earth a little bit, to where it's like, hey, you you won your first matchup, but you got another guy, team in the swamp to come to you. And- Look, this is a this is a Florida roster that's that's not quite there yet. You know, Billy's gonna get them to that point. But they're not quite there yet. So, look, that was a big win against the Utes to open the season. A big, But that was a big emotional game, right? That was a big atmosphere game. Opened up the the Billy Napier tenure at Florida. First game of the season at home. Top 10 opponent 
in the swamp, the place was juiced. And it kind of felt like all the emotion from that game wasn't able to carry over to Kentucky. No, a lot. Of, look, a lot of people saying Anthony Richardson for Heisman. That guy couldn't hit the broadside of a barn on Saturday night. I think he'll be okay. And again, Florida still got a lot of talent. Their roster's not quite as in shambles as LSU. They probably still win eight games or so this year. Don't push the panic button or anything, but it's just kind of funny that a lot of those programs that were throwing a lot of shade now have the shade coming back on on them. We're going to take a quick break. First one of the day. When we come back, James and I are going to get into a little bit of fantasy discussion to see how your first week of fantasy football went. So stay right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's another two-for-one deal from AcadianaDeals.com. Today, you can get a $40 voucher to Dickie's Barbecue Pit for just $20. That's a $40 deal for half the price. Once again, visit AcadianaDeals.com today to get $40 voucher to Dickie's Barbecue Pit for only $20. Now, Blaine, you know what else was cooking over the weekend? Not just Dickie's. It was my fantasy teams. What a way to segue into our fantasy talk. I'm Blaine Vietar filling it in for Matt Miguez for a special Monday edition of Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Kicking off the NFL season and as... Matt just said, excuse me, James just said, his fantasy team is cooking. And you know who was cooking in my fantasy league, James? The guy who I went out and picked number one, fourth overall in one draft, third overall in the other draft. Hey, I like my guy. I went and got him. That's Justin Jettis Jefferson. Did the same thing in three of my leagues. My guy put up a 40-burger yesterday for me. And, look, he was – Clutch. You you kept saying, how is he so open? Why aren't they bracket encouraging this guy? They moved him around the field so much. That was the biggest difference. New coach coming in. We knew they were going to air the football out more. They were going to do some different things. And the, the main thing that they did different to get him in better situations where they moved him around pre-snap in motion, moved him to the slot, moved him out wide, he was open on the balls he caught by sometimes 10 yards. The best receiver in the league the last three years. Nobody around him. Balling out. He was a straight menace yesterday, and he's going to be like that all season long. Cooper Cup on Thursday night, he said the bar. Jetta said, not so fast, my friend, and pushed that bar a little bit further. Hey, watch this. <laughs> I mean, what, 10 catches or 9 catches for 180 yards and 2 touchdowns? Yeah, 9 for 184 and 2 touchdowns. That's crazy. To start off week one. And it's against a good Packers team that was supposed to be the strength of that team, especially with having Jair Alexander being a quote-unquote top-five corner. Not yesterday. They couldn't They couldn't stop Jettas yesterday. It was the same thing with Michael Thomas. Yeah. A.J. Terrell was being like called a, a top-ten cornerback or like one of the best, especially with – his Madden rating and looking at his PFF grade, it was one of the better ones. Looked at it yesterday. That man was burnt toast. I could have sworn that was Eli Apple. <laughs> Jameis was good, though. A lot On those catches, touchdown pass, that ball was money. That back shoulder throw to, to Michael Thomas was just money. Both of them were money. Slant Boy is back. <laughs> Slant Boy is back. 
And then hitting Jarvis down the left sideline. That was a that was a beautiful throw. Yeah. How, how upset did you get with the the spike after that? The call. I I didn't. He didn't get out of bounds, so I don't know. I don't. Well, know the, a, apparently he did because, according to the refs, the cor- the Falcons corner or safety didn't touch him, and his feet did hit out of bounds whenever he did like get up, start running again. I believe. Okay, so, I thought it was tagged. You know, I thought so too. I thought so too. That's why I was like, "Oh, Spike's fine." I just thought that the clock just wasn't running because I think the refs were just unaware that the clock wasn't running. So when I saw that, I was like, "Well, it's wrong." It was the same thing with what Cam Jordan had said, and he was like, "I didn't realize that either." I learned something today. You can't. It's intentional grounding. If your receiver's out of bounds, it, even though it didn't look like he was out of bounds, but could have been out of bounds. Yeah, I didn't understand. You know, I didn't really understand. I had to get clarification myself. I kept asking. I said, "What the hell was that?" Um, also, I didn't know what happened the last. What, what should have been the last play of the game? You know what? We we got a dub, so that's what we can we can put our hats on right now. Can't wait to get to the film, break it down, because I do think that you know we play some sloppy ball. We got to clean that up asap. I would love to say that we love we we loved uh, you know coming out with the win, and I do love it. But to be down against this team, you know, this is some somebody that we know, or maybe it's somebody we didn't know because we had Marcus Mariota running the hell out that ball. So, you know, that's something we got to tighten up on. Were there any surprises for you from, from a fantasy standpoint yesterday, James? I, look, I'm a little. I was a little surprised Clyde. Clyde had a Clyde Edwards Hilaire had a great game. Oh, dude, he went off. S- seven rushes for 42 yards, but it was the three receptions. They got him two touchdowns on 32 yards that really set it off for him. Um, you know, is he that that kind of makes me nervous? He had to rely on those passes to be able to get involved in the game plan that much. So he, he's a guy that I'm probably not gonna you know wouldn't start right away in my RB one type positions. A um, little bit more prove me. What, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, he's very touchdown dependent. It's almost kind of like Damian Harris where he better score a lot if if he's going to be fantasy relevant because even when you looked at the the preseason, Clyde was out there. They would run him when they were like in the middle of the field whenever they first started the drive, but as soon as they got in the red zone, they were bringing out the Jerick McKinnons, the Isaiah Pachecos of the world. They were getting cute with like Sky Moore and other players. It was like, they're doing all that, but as as soon as when when they get close and they're about to score, they take out Clyde. So Clyde for me, I had to take him. It, it felt like in my dynasty league because I thought I had no other choice. My other quarterback, my my other running back was Ezekiel Elliott. So I'm like, I gotta take somebody. I've taken great receivers so far, and I took Kyle Pitts, but I, I tried to avoid him in all the other drafts because I didn't think he was gonna be all that good. I think this helps if for somebody that maybe doesn't pay attention as much, and they're like, oh, Clyde's that guy let me trade for him and then you can get him for somebody that has great value that will probably do better than Clyde throughout the year and how about Saquon Barkley he's <laughs> back I mean, oh come on man a guy had resurrection 18 carries for a buck 64 and a touchdown also six receptions for 30 yards as well he's a guy that I was big on bouncing back after being injured for a couple years and I think that kind of surprised me and not in a bad way but Indy just they lean heavy on Jonathan Taylor yesterday a young man had 31 carries, 161 yards, but 31 carries in the first week of the season. That one surprised me a tad. We're going to head on out to the game hotline and bring on Neil. Neil, how are you on this Monday afternoon? Hey, man, I'm doing good. I got the win in uh, RP3 league, so uh, I'm, I'm good. 
Hey, always I, great to I start would. a season with a victory. You can't win them all if you don't start with a win. Exactly, exactly. And, uh, you know, I don't know if RP's listening, but um, my man might want to listen a little bit to my show because he would have been able to start Jameis, like I said, over Matt Stafford. Because one of my sits of the week was Matt Stafford, and my start of the week was Jameis Winston. Oh, hey. So I had, I had faith in my boy Jameis that he'd be able to get out there and do a little something, and I had some serious doubt going in with uh, this elbow uh, situation that Stafford's got going on. So That elbow situation makes you nervous for, for going forward in the season, or you think that's something that we, he'll be able to work it? work his way out. Well, when when they're talking about it's going to be an ongoing issue throughout the season because the only way to like remedy this is going to be with surgery and he's going to be taking a shot every week it sounds like in order to deal with whatever pain he's got. So, outside of Cooper Cup, I'm kind of leery about any of the Rams people. I mean, look at what Allen Robinson didn't do. What, you know, Akers didn't do. I mean, the only backfield, the only uh, RB that I like is Henderson because they just seem like they're leaning more on him. And there's just something about Akers that just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah, that teams just seem all out of sorts. I mean, they lost a lot of production from the wide receiver position. Uh, you, you know, you got brought back Cooper Cup, who best receiver in the yep. year, league a year ago, so you didn't think it would matter that much. But, hey, it did on Thursday. Uh, just yeah. too anyway, many weapons. I do have to on, give my wife props because in our uh, in our other league, uh, she was a, a last minute fill in for us because I had one of my guys back out, and she uh, not only got Pat, uh, Patty Mahomes, but she also went out there and got Ceh. So she kind of cleaned up this week, and <laughs> you know went out there and did a little something. A lot of production week one. Neil, I appreciate the call, my man. Best of luck in this fantasy season take, for you. Take it easy, guys. I got one question for you, James, before we wrap up this segment. I'll give you two running backs. Tell me which one you think has a more sustainable season after week one. Uh, Cardell Patterson or A.J. Dillon? Ooh, that's interesting because I wasn't high on Cordero. I felt like over the year they weren't going to give it to him as much. This may, this may be just a, a matchup type of thing where it just worked out for him. And the Saints just they got crushed by Cordero last year, so it was like, oh, let's just kind of repeat what what he did last year. And it looks he looks really good so far. Last it, year they moved him around a little more. They did. They Yesterday, had him. They flexed him just, out to wide receiver, but the, yeah. right now they only had him at running back. I mean, really he was toting the rock like a like a true RB yesterday. And then whenever he would split out wide, he was only running like little short routes. Right. So it, it's not like he was doing a whole bunch. For me, that that's tough because. If the Packers aren't going to play like if they're going to play like they did last week, they're not going to be able to run the ball and play ball control, and just hand it off to AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones the whole time. You may have to get them more involved in the passing game than you would really want to. That's why you ultimately saw AJ have five catches for forty six yards, and that be his, and almost have to get a touchdown out of that. Yeah, it seems like that's not as sustainable as Cardell just kind of moving around the field, and they, they get in the football to him to make plays. Yes. Right now, it looks like Cordero, but I, I think you still have a good chance of A.J. Dillon being pretty sustainable. and He may he probably won't get 20 points every week, but you if, you're, if, those, you get, if you get... Split a lot of carries over there. Yeah. 
if you get a solid 12 points out of him every week, I mean, that's all you really ask for. You're not I asking for that, 20. No, no. That, I mean, you probably. That's solid RB2 number. RB2 number in a deep league. I agree. That's, that's, that's decent numbers. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like pick your poison. Well, what we're going to do, we don't have to pick our poison. We know what we have up next, and that's Wilson Alexander of The Advocates going to join us. We're going to talk all things LSU, so don't go anywhere. Stick around on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Johnson throws. Boutte's got it wide open at the 10. Far side. He's in for the score. Hit high. Hammered to left field. Going back, taking a look is Holcomb, and it's gone! Time to talk all things Bayou Bengals with the advocates, Wilson Alexander. Here is Tiger Talk on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Welcome back into Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. We're going to bring the guy on right now. Wilson Alexander out on the game hotline. Wilson, how are you on this Monday afternoon? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. LSU fresh off of their big victory against Southern in Tiger Stadium on Saturday night. Coming out victorious 65-17. to and kind of a ho-hum game, not much you can really take out of it. I think most things people want to talk about is quarterback play. Garrett Nussmeyer was so close to Jaden Daniels. You heard it all camp long. Jaden Daniels ultimately wins the starting job. Our first look at Garrett Nussmeyer left a lot to be desired on Saturday night. It did. You can see why Jaden Daniels won this job, uh, which was probably what people suspected throughout camp. But, like, you're right, it was – described as close from everyone you talked to around LSU that, hey, this is a close battle. And Garrett, you saw at times uh, when we were at practice, made some really, really good throws. And he still did on Saturday. I mean, there was a 40-yard over the shoulder to Malik Neighbors that ended up being a 60-yard gain that was, I mean, not many people can make that throw. And Jordan Rogers, the SC commenter, you know, analysts sort of commented on how quickly the ball gets out of the river from Garrett. But it was, you know, he had just a couple, I think maybe three plays really, and two of them were obviously interceptions where you just kind of scratch your head thinking, why did he try to do that? Um, you know, Brian Kelly said today that he was possibly, you know, understandably, maybe even as, as a backup quarterback trying to press too much with a little, you know, with the playing time that he was getting and really trying to do something with it. Um, he said they had a conversation about those interceptions, um, but he re- tried to per- and sort of preferred to focus on what Garrett did well as they're coaching him moving forward and building off of that instead of harping too much on the mistakes. Because Garrett knows. I mean, he could tell as soon as that happened. He knew that he had uh, and made a, an error, obviously. Um, but he's just got to clean that part up of his, in his game in order to really become a reliable starting quarterback in the future. One of the big storylines leaving the Florida State loss was Kayshawn Butte. His disconnect seems like from the program at the time and just not getting him involved in the game plan early. You could tell they made a, a conscious effort to get him the football early on and to develop a rhythm. Um, is that something that we're going to see throughout the season going forward? Yes, it should be. The, you know, there, It was obvious in that first game there was a lot of frustration for Kayshawn. You could see on the sideline with – Jaden Daniels coming up and talk to him, talking to him, putting an arm around them. And um, part of that could be, you know, first game for them, even though you have all of the preseason to, to really try to harness your chemistry and your timing, you know, first game uh, for them. And it was the first game for Kayshawn since his ankle injury. And so Brian Kelly thought, yeah, maybe there's a little rust there too. Um, you know, the social media scrubbing and kind of all the drama was probably just a case of him 
trying to block out the negativity that was coming his way after that game. Um, but they, they did make that concerted effort in the Southern game to get the ball to him early. I mean, he had catches on two of the first three plays. Uh, they had that great end-around design for him. A lot of it was short, quick stuff just to get the ball in his hands and let him work and kind of get him into a rhythm. And it'll be interesting to see if LC does it moving forward because Brian Kelly said that they suspect teams are going to probably play off coverage or bracket him with you know two defenders. Um, but that also means that they're gonna, because they're playing off, let's get the ball to them fast. Let him work in space and make plays because um, he, you know, it's hard to bring him down once he gets the ball in his hands. So it's certainly effective against Southern. We'll see how well it works out against the rest of the SEC. The offensive line, they, they kind of had a lot of moving pieces during camp there, and they ultimately settled at Cam Wire on right tackle. That only lasted a week uh, after the loss to Florida State. They retooled the offensive line again, bringing in Charles Turner to play center, moving Garrett Dellinger over to left guard, and then bringing Miles Frazier over to right tackle. Uh, I know it's against Southern, so it's hard to take a lot away from it, but after one week, uh, you were able to rush the football a little bit better, a little bit more pass protected. Is, is this what we're going to see going forward this week? Yeah, we'll see that same starting five uh, left to right, uh, like like you described. Um, exactly hard to take away, really, against Southern, how well that uh, team played, just you know how well that group, excuse me, played, just because physically Southern is not going to be what else you get in, against Mississippi State this weekend and then the rest of the SEC. But, yeah, they, they had some good moments and also, you know, a lot of sacker here and there. Um, and, you know, Jaden had to kind of scramble again a couple times. Um, but... That is what we're going to see moving forward, at least, you know, certainly at least for now. It'll also continue to be a rotation um, similar to what we saw in the Southern game. Uh, Cam Wire came in at right tackle for a few series. Traymond Shorts came in at right guard for a few series. Um, that's going to continue to happen, that kind of rotation. And someone who Brian Kelly mentioned today is going to get more playing time is Emory Jones, true freshman. Hit a great pancake block, drove a guy like 15 yards out of the play um in that game against southern and he was someone who they've liked in preseason camp and once he got some playing time and was able to do something with it in the games ryan kelly said he'll be part of that rotation as well another area they seem to be kind of retooling is the defensive backfield uh this week you saw jay ward play more in the nickel role and they brought greg brooks back to the safety spot with mike leach's air raid offense coming into town more of the same yes it, it will be uh certainly that was at least the indication uh, Brian Kelly thought that putting Greg Brooks back at sort of a true safety role, which is interesting because that's not something that he's really played. He, he was a nickel at, at Arkansas as well, um, but in a nickel in his first game at LSU, and that was all preseason kind of what you saw from him, but he's really versatile. Even in the spring, LSU thought about maybe getting him some reps at cornerback when that looked really, really thin. Um, but they liked what he did in terms of communication to show up that in the back end alongside Major Burns, and so that he's going to stay there. And, you know, Jay Ward being a former cornerback himself, um, nickel seems like a spot that might make a lot of sense. Um, Brian Kelly thought that it matched his skill set really well, and that's what we'll see uh, moving forward there with those two players. He talked about Emory Jones, the true freshman. Another true freshman, Harold Perkins, on the defensive side of the ball, led all tacklers with seven tackles. He was just really active off the edge, playing in absence of that B.J. Ojolori role, um, some in, especially once they brought him in late in the second quarter. Is his role going to continue to develop, or you think he's somebody they're going to bring along slowly uh, now that SEC play is starting to get cranked up? It's, we don't fully know yet because we've seen Harold used in a few different ways. I mean, even think back to the preseason going into that Florida State game, Brian Kelly said that they might use Harold as a spy linebacker on Jordan Travis because of his speed and athleticism. It was just a way for him to be on the field as he's continuing to learn the playbook. Because Brian Kelly said, like, we're going to have to 
you know, we can't put too much on him right away. Like he's got to get used to the college game. He's got to get used to the full scope of the defensive playbook. You know, he was only arrived here in the summer. And even though he's catching on really fast because he's partially because he's just so athletically gifted, um, that that's not something that, you know, you're not going to maybe start him at middle linebacker right away. And so now we've seen him used in a few different ways. Um, this was really an interesting sort of creative way to do so. LSU knew it was going to need to get creative without B.J. Ojolari in that game, without Ali Gay for the first half. And, you know, using Harold in that, in that nickel package was part of the way they did it. You um, would be surprised if he kind of stuck there, especially you know as BJ Ojolari is expected to come back this week, and Ali will be playing as well, and all that. Um, but you know he's so athletic that they're trying to find different ways for him to get on the field. Mississippi State's going to come into Tiger Stadium as a two-point favorite. Uh, two years ago, they came to LSU, threw the football all over the yard against the Tigers. Last year, a much different approach for LSU. They played a lot of sag coverage, uh, let everything kind of play out in front of them. Uh, you think that's something that Brian Kelly's looking at doing, or you'll be a little bit more aggressive? No, I think that he he understands kind of what is necessary to defend the air raid. He's certainly you know, seen air raid concepts, uh, not necessarily – you know, Mike Leach's air raid, um, but that, that sort of same idea as, as the coach at Notre Dame. Um, and, you know, he kind of likened it to facing a triple option just in terms of, of, you know, you have to be really attentive to detail. Um, if you are and you're sound and you're fundamentally sound and like in, you know, when you have to stop the triple option, you know, you got to really make sure that you're doing a good job, like setting the edge and all that kind of thing. Um, against the air raid, like you said, keep things in front. I think he understands that. Uh, I think the staff understands that, but it's going to come down to a matter of execution. Uh, this is a Mississippi State team that's um, got some experience. Will Rogers has been a quarterback for you know a few years here now in the SEC, um, and and, under- and that really helps in the air raid. And so LSU with a secondary that's still you know uh, fresh in a lot of ways, guys just haven't had a lot of playing time together for a long time. Is going to have to be able to to just understand how to do that, um, which is a little bit easier said than done, especially against a an experienced player at quarterback. Wrapping up right now with Wilson Alexander, the LSU beat writer from The Advocate. Wilson, any time that you play a potent offense like that, your best weapon is going to be an equally good offense to keep your defense off the field and fresh. To do that, LSU is going to have to rush the football. On Saturday night, we didn't see a whole lot of Noah Kane early. Is that any indication on how they plan to split these running backs? We're still learning what's happening at running back. I asked Brian Kelly about the running game situation today because he really looked at run game in terms of success rate on third down and just in overall yards per carry. He wants that to be over four yards a carry. And he said that it's kind of still too early to really gauge uh, where they are with the running game. Um, you know, like you said, Armani Goodwin got a lot of the run. Uh, even Josh Williams got some playing time early. It was a little bit odd that, you know, they used Noah Kane down at the goal line some, but and maybe some short yardage situations, and maybe that's just going to be his role, But because um, that was kind of how they used him against Florida State, too. Um, and obviously now we've got John Emery, you know, fitting into that. And, you know, Brian Kelly said temper expectations around John. It's, it will have been 643 days since he played a game, um, and that you don't you know, want to like just th- put the world on him and expect him to, you know, rush for over 100 yards or something like that, but he'll be fitted into that as well. Um, so, But basically overall, you know, they kind of got to get into a few SEC games to really see uh, what they have with the running game. This isn't going to be the strength of LSU's offense. Uh, Brian Kelly has said that. He knows that. Um, but they want it to be able to, um, you know, take, especially as they need to play complementary football and not just, you know, have big chunk plays and three and outs against Mississippi State. Uh, it's going to be important for them to be able to run the ball a little bit. A week after the special teams were just disasters in, in uh, New Orleans uh, this week, 
flawless. Converted all their extra points, had a block punt for a touchdown, caught all <laughs> the punts that were kicked to him. Uh, I mean, do, do we ever see Malik Neighbors back there? Are they going away from that? Is the punt return ever going to be a dangerous weapon for LSU? Where are you in the special teams game? Yeah, Malik is gonna, you know, has continued to practice at punt returner uh, since then. Um, they have not given up on him. They want to make sure that he's not just, you know, it's also kind of like a, a window into how Brian Kelly and the staff are going to coach. You know, you got a young player back there who made some mistakes, but they're continuing to make sure he's practicing there. And it, it and you know, they wanted to give him the week off, but it's not something that they're just never going to go back to him at punt returner because he can be so explosive. Um, hasn't said exactly who's going to be back there this week. Greg Clayton did a solid job against Southern, but um, you know Malik is uh, you know is the more explosive you know player. He just he, um, and he's uh, really seems like he could have a breakout year. So we'll see what they do back there at punt returner. Um, everything else was shored up pretty quickly, and they all seemed like correctable mistakes. Um, you know, again though, yeah, probably won't be put completely to bed until LSU goes through an entire SEC game without any special teams errors. Wilson, I appreciate the time, my man. I hope you have a great afternoon, and we'll catch up real soon. Thanks for having me. Y'all have a good one. Tune in next week for another edition of Tiger Talk. Here on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Attention sports fans, your favorite sports book, BetUS.com, back for its 28th year of NFL action. With the industry's biggest sign-up bonus of up to 200%, BetUS offers their members the opportunity to cash in on all your favorite leagues from the NFL, NBA, MLB, and more. Also, hundreds of new casino games, including the coolest European slots and live dealers waiting for you at the tables. You need a sports book with integrity. You need a sports book with longevity. You need to know that you're going to get paid. Plain and simple, you need a sports book that offers everything from live betting to MMA, golf, horses, esports, and all kinds of crazy bets. Call today at 1-800-79-BET-US. That's 1-800-79-BET-US. And they're going to walk you through setting up an account. Nobody in the industry gives better bonuses than BETUS. Join now and mention KLWB to score 200% in bonuses on your first deposit. Head to BETUS.com to join today. And don't forget to mention promo code KLWB. That's BETUS, where the game begins. Welcome back in to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh for the first time in the last hour. I'm Blaine Vietar, filling in for Matt Miguez, who's off getting married and whatnot. Congratulations, Matt. We've had a lot of fun so far. Talked a lot NFL, fantasy, some college football. Next hour, we're going to talk some Raging Cajuns when my guy Clint Domang is going to join us on the opposite side of the hour. We'll break down their big comeback win against Eastern Michigan on Saturday and try to preview their matchup against the Rice Owls this coming week. And they travel to Houston. Rice fresh off a win against McNeese a week ago. We'll take a look at the poll question, too. If you want to get involved in the action, you can head on over to the game Louisiana on the Twitter machine. And we want to know who was the hero for the Saints in their comeback win against the Falcons. Jameis Winston, the defense, the offensive line, or other. So far, 52% of the people are saying Jameis Winston. 33% are saying other. 
I don't know how you can go without saying Mike Thomas. My guy balled out. Jarvis Juice Landry, big catches down the stretch. But, of course, Jameis Winston was money. Dropping him in a bucket. That ball to Jarvis, beautiful. Beautiful throw. And the touchdown pass, both of them, to Michael Thomas, just salty. We, we did get a vote for Lutz. That's, a, that's an interesting pick. I mean, my guy, hey, you t- what you take from that? Come on, James, you laughing back there behind the glass. It is interesting because, I mean, you didn't go to him to the fourth quarter until the final kick because you went for two both times, but then he also had missed that previous field goal in the second quarter. Redemption, though, in the fourth I mean, quarter. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he was but, nails. Uh, but for me, though, when it comes to being the biggest hero of them all, you got to give it to the QB. You got to give it to Jameis. Jameis over Michael Thomas. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, once once he was ball. actually once he was actually able to throw to someone, and actually had enough time, he was he, dotting everyone up. Oh, he was he was dotting them in. He was so calm in the moment. Uh, I mean, he just couldn't miss when they needed him most. He was what made the Saints go in that fourth quarter. That's the Jameis we get for the whole season. Watch out. The Saints team is going to be really, really good. No knee-jerk reactions. We don't need that nonsense from the first half. We like what we saw in the second half, especially the fourth quarter. What we're going to do is we're going to take our break, head to the other side of the hour where Clint Domingue is going to join me. We're going to break things down, raging Cajun football. So stick right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh on a lovely Monday afternoon as we continue to celebrate the start of football season. And I'm going to bring on my guy. It almost feels like a, a old producers on a Saturday morning. My guy, Clint Domain, is going to join me, and we're going to talk some raging Cajuns as Clint was in the press box for the big comeback victory over the Eastern Michigan 49-21 Saturday night. Clint, tell it two halves, right? Oh, it was absolutely – I'd say it was almost the tale of a quarter and a half, more or less. Like, not long after the third quarter got started, the Cajuns – absolutely came alive. I think it was just more the fact that I think the humidity started to get to the folks out in Ypsilanti, Michigan, and that caused things to kind of turn for the worse. That offensive line from Eastern Michigan fell apart, and they were getting picked off every single drive, a couple fumbles here and there, and that's what resulted in a 49, I think it was either 42 or 49-7 run. Something that you'd see more often than not, like a basketball game, a run, but they put on a run unlike any other in that contest. It was a little dicey at the beginning, but they were able to turn it around. He's definitely right, 49-7 to run in the second half. Uh, as somebody who took the Cajuns in the over, I was getting pretty nervous at halftime. Uh, whatever change, it, you know, is that something for cause of concern, though, for the Cajuns going forward, their performance in the first half, or they got that footing and you think they better ride that wave? I don't think it's going to be a cause for concern. I think it was just the fact that at the beginning of the matchup, you had the Cajuns kind of on the back of their heels, but it was more because of how Eastern Michigan was running their offense. It was more of an up-tempo, no-huddle type offense where you were able to see them kind of start to really just get things going, very quick drives, and they are able to get a lot of chunk plays. But once they were able to kind of like ride the ship defensively, things were a lot easier. Things were 
working a lot better. You were able to get a lot of key turnovers, and that was a big reason why the game kind of flipped over on its head and the Cavs were able to take the big 49-21 lead. And or win, you, I should say. You played two quarterbacks in the ball game. You know, Chandler Fields kind of iffy start. You know, he finished 10 to 21, but he was pretty efficient with his passes of you know, his 10 completions. Uh, 141 yards, three scores. Ben Woolridge came in the ball game 12 of 13. Talk about ultimate efficiency. 169 yards and two scores. Is the two quarterback system something we're going to continue to see, or is one guy going to separate themselves? Oh, no. This is going to be the direction they go going forward. And I've been a fan of it. We're two weeks in. We're seeing things start to separate. We're seeing clearly one guy is a little bit better than the other. But at the same time, I'd much rather have both these guys get opportunities to be out there on the field. And, you know, Coach Dez has said as much. And I, it reminds me going back to the first year of Billy Napier, all the way back to 2018, when you had Andre Nunez and Levi Lewis every fourth drive, when Levi Lewis showed up. It wound up being, I can probably count on both my hands and maybe some of my toes, uh, the amount of times I saw Levi Lewis on that fourth drive put together an explosive play. The guy just knew how to kind of be that spark plug like we saw Taysom Hill was last night against the Atlanta Falcons. That was, This is going to be interesting to see how it goes. Again, I'm okay with it because of the fact that you have two guys that are extremely good at their job doing this. Now, what happens if one of them gets hurt. Let's say, hypothetically, Chandler Fields, the Rumble product, gets hurt. Ben Woolridge comes in. That absolutely is a it's a good thing to have two good quarterbacks kind of vying for the same position. At the end of the day, I'd much rather have this kind of situation set up in place. And no matter who the quarterback is, though, John Stevens, the TCU product, he slash player, been, right? Three catches, 103 yards, and a touchdown. He's going to be got to be the guy that got to get the football to. He's got to be the guy to get the football to, and he's been one that's kind of been under the radar like throughout his time at UL. Again, you mentioned a TCU transfer. The guy has been part of a Power Five program. I'm just interested to see how he kind of carries off that performance because 103 yards. That's a great game, and again, I want to see how he does in next week against Rice. Against Rice is going to be a, a big game for the Cajuns heading over to Houston. Um, you know, you saw other Sun Belt programs knock off Power Five schools yep. this weekend. This is a game that the Cajuns is going to be favored at on the road against Rice. They're double digit, actually. I saw double like, digit. The, the opening line was minus eleven. That's wow. impressive to see how quickly the Cajuns are just becoming consistent favorites in a lot of these matchups. I think this is a big reason why, like at the beginning of the year. I was very skeptical, and I was getting a lot of different opinions on it. That back in like it was like late July, early August, when the over/under win total started to kind of creep out through all the sports books, that eight and a half. I was like, that is a very tough line to kind of like ride. And I said, you know what? After seeing what they have to go against in the West Division, more so teams like Arkansas State and ULM, I think a nine and three season is in the offing. Now, I think there's still some things they need to kind of correct and, more importantly, put together a more consistent game over the course of four quarters because, again, they had a really solid first half last week against Southeastern, and then it was a ho-hum second half. And then you fast-forward to what we saw last week where it was very much only the last, let's say, 20 minutes or so of the game was actually them just steamrolling people. If they could put together a really good, complete performance – 
against Rice, who, if I'm not mistaken, they wound up getting a big win over the weekend against McNeese, and that was relatively one side. I think I would definitely take the Cajuns on this one. The points, I'm it's skeptical on. It's, it's up to 12. 12. Wow. I, I just know I saw on the road. The, I know I saw the opening line was at 11, but I just think that's more the fact of the, the betting experts over in Vegas having a lot more of a respect for what the Raging Cajuns do versus the Rice Owls, who haven't really done much in a while. And look, going back to your your uh, statement about the the line for number of wins, you know, it, it, I think it's really more of a testament of where the Sun Belt is. Yeah, more than where the Cajuns are. Right? Or at because least the Sun Belt's so deep. Yeah, or at least so we thought. Because you, know, you look at the Cajun schedule the rest of the way, they don't have to deal with App State. You don't have to deal with Coastal. The only team you're really going to have to deal with that could give you trouble and give you fits is going to be Marshall, a team who beat Notre Dame. How much can you kind of change that conversation of, hey, the Sunbelt Conference is a deep and, dare I say, to a certain extent, cannibalizing conference. A lot like what we see with the SEC where the best play the best, and you wind up seeing this conference kind of eat itself alive, and we see an Alab- only one team really stand head and shoulders above the rest. And we talked a lot about the passing game and the quarterbacks, but running the football is still going to be a priority for Coach Dez and his team. They, they like to run the ball yep. closer between the tackles and that zone look. Uh, they've been doing it with a host of different guys. Do you see somebody really asserting themselves in that, in that kind of role? It's tough. I think the guy obviously is Chris Smith, but I, I'm just wondering what's going to happen after Chris Smith graduates. Again, he's one of those super seniors, the holdovers from COVID, I'm wondering what happens after the season. We see a lot of guys out there. I think this is an opportunity for, and I was thinking the last two games at least, would have been a golden opportunity to really see who stands out the most. But I saw a lot more of of the passing game. I felt like it, I wish I could have pulled up the plays off top, but I feel like there was a lot more of a pass balance. In terms of the run-pass balance, it was probably more skewed towards throwing it through the air. Oh, for sure. No doubt. They, they threw the football a whole lot more than they've run it. Um, I, look, Terrace Williams, the, the former Manny High running back, seems to be the next guy up outside mm-hmm. of Chris Smith. I, I thought Chris Smith might have took that next step, right, as being the guy. Seems like he's not quite there yet. But as you mentioned, is there not a lot of trust in that? That's why they throw in the football so much? Or they got a lot of playmakers on the perimeter, though. And oh, no. Spreading the rock out to those guys. Exactly. Need to throw the football. Exactly. You're seeing guys like Johnny Lumpkin. He's been able to put together a really good performance on the offensive side of the football. So I think it's more the fact that also it's not like what it had been over the last few years and probably the last several years. You look at what Chandler Fields and Ben Woolridge both bring to the table. It's not as much the happy feet. It's not as much of a dual-threat quarterback. I think this is the first time in a long time that I can, at least as far back as I can remember from like the Terrence Broadway, the Blank Goche days, that they've had a true pro-style quarterback running the rock and, hold, and running things in you know, Chandler Fields, a Rummel Raider, and you have Ben Woolridge, a good transfer quarterback. Well, so we concentrate a lot on the offense so yeah. far, but the defense is really what changed the game. Oh, yeah. I guess Eastern Michigan, and you mentioned they had quite a few interceptions on, on Saturday night. Uh, it, this is a defense. I hadn't got to watch the Cajuns play yet this yeah. year. Is this a Cajuns team that you, 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 you know, they're, they're going to get up to the quarterback a little more? What, what, what's, what do they pride themselves on? So I think far? they pride themselves on having a really solid secondary. A lot of the work has been done. They didn't get a whole lot. I think they only had maybe one or two sacks. I know Zion Hill Green, he had one. It was a pivotal one. 
but you had a lot more work being done by guys like KJ Osai. You had a Braylon Trahan, a Katie and a high product. He's been getting things done in the secondary as well. You've been able to. He's been really, so good ever since been, he got to campus. Man. He's been like, right. Like, <laughs> he's been a baller since day one. I mean, even before he set foot on campus, because I can remember a little story time here. When the Cajuns went to their last New Orleans Bowl under HUD, this was 2016 when they barely got in and basically qualified for, for New Orleans Bowl by beating UL Monroe in like the most like monsoon conditions on like a Saturday after Thanksgiving with like five people in the building. And one of those is probably a, our guy Dave Schultz. <laughs> but I can remember we were actually waiting for the game. I was covering it in New Orleans. And all of a sudden I started to see stuff from the I-10 Bowl. And Braylon Draw was one that his name just kept popping up a lot on the social media feeds, and he had recently committed to the Cajuns. How little did we know how impactful he would wind up being for that program? Yeah, I watched him play at Acadiana a few times. They guys just make plays all over he's the a, football field. He was a Wherever beast. the football's at, he's there. And it's he's a, a magnet for the football. He's going to be there each and every time. Oh, exactly, man. It's definitely going to be fun to see what he can wind up doing and how much he can probably, potentially, I would say, improve his draft stock because he feels like he could be – a sleeper day three kind of guy. Like a, I mean, he's a guy who plays special teams in the league for sure. Yeah. I mean, I would definitely, I mean, Chris Smith, I think would work really well in the special teams front because he's obviously he's got the reputation with the big Iowa state kick and punt returns he had back in 2020. So I think Chris Smith could fit more in that special teams, but I wouldn't be surprised if Braylon Tron could be a guy that kind of hangs around a practice squad for a little bit and winds up getting elevated for a couple games. Like I'm a former Cajun, Christian Ringo got elevated on the Saints roster this past weekend. Saw that. Wrapping up right now with Clint Doming, host of Under the Dome on Saturday mornings right here on the game. What what do you think are the keys to the game for, for Saturday? I mean, I know we got to start quicker than we did oh, absolutely. this week, but what do they have to do to come up victorious in H-Town on Saturday? I think the key, like you said, it's starting out fast. That's the number one thing on my list of things I'm looking to see what they can do with that. And I think the other part is bring the pressure. I did not see as much defense. The front seven wasn't like bringing the wood to them the entire ball game. And again, I think it was just more the fact that they – had a slow start, and then you have the the rain delay. Excuse me, not a rain delay, a lightning delay that caused things to get pushed back a good bit. And we wound up seeing. I think it was funny to me how LSU they wrapped up their game against Southern. They started a half hour after the Cajuns <laughs> kicked off. They finished probably about an hour before we did. And that game took forever too. Oh, that game took. Yeah, well, mind you, I'm surprised. The first quarter took forever, man. First quarter what was it like thirty five nothing? Yeah. 37. 37 nothing in a row? 37 nothing, and they scored, what, the second or third play of the second quarter, too. I mean, it was, it was, it was an onslaught early on. It was nuts. But that's what you expect, though. Well, yeah, I mean, look, it's, that's two different – there's levels to this stuff, right? Exactly. And, and that's kind of what UL's trying to establish with Rice this week. You no, know, no, to yeah. To prove that they're, they're, they take the next step. I mean, years ago, you know, five, ten years ago, we'd be talking about this game in a much different light, right? Exactly. We'd now, be talking about it more in the sense of how is – how are the Cajuns going to lose this ball game? They, it, but compete, right? We, yeah. We how, see compete. Can they compete? Yeah. Not twelve point favorites on the road. How do you see it playing out? I think we see the Cajuns come away with a really solid win to kind of keep things going, and more importantly, build up momentum heading into a big conference matchup, the conference opener against UL Monroe. And yes, you're probably going to laugh at me for saying the fact that the matchup against the UL Monroe Warhawks is a Big SEC uh, Sun Belt 
conference oh, opener. Absolutely, it is. But it be a, but it's the opener, and it's an in-state rivalry. You're starting the season off against them, which is a little bit unusual because over the years the Cajuns and UL Monroe has always been that last game to a certain extent under the Billy Napier era. Era that became the cigar game. It's it's a huge game. To, like you I said, wonder if they're going to keep the cigars going with them. Uh, our guy Des. It kind of feels like you got to get your own stuff, right? That's gonna yeah. be my next question for you. Honestly, is what what you know? You cover the team, you're around it a lot. What do you think's the biggest difference so far between Napier and Dis? Honestly, I think there's a lot more. I feel at least just how I feel. I feel like there's much more of a pro style, just in terms of the offensive side of the football, because I think that's obviously what. Des brings to the table, former quarterback for the Cajuns back in the day. Definitely was more of a pro style guy. So I'm, in, I, and he's got a very good mind about him. Like he's just smart as a whip. I think that's the thing that makes me intrigued to see how he goes the rest of the way. Because again, he could have a nine win season, and some people might consider that a failure, which is wild to think about, right? You've had years where nine and three, ten and three, uh, that would be a pipe dream. But last year, you had an eleven and one season, and if you wind up nine and three, there there are some fans. There are some fans that would think that would be a failure. Oh, don't get spoiled, Cajun fans. Don't get spoiled. But enjoy the ride because I think this ride is going to keep going for a long time. Now, how much longer it, it can go with everything else going on in the world of college football with NIL and all that stuff, and now potentially the college football playoff expanding, obviously the top-ranked team in the Sun Belt. But, because I think the Sun Belt, in my mind, is going to ha- have – if let's say if today – yeah, the college football playoff go down. I think you'd have a team like App State or Marshall in that mix. Of course, I, I think the Sun Belt's right there on the, on the doorstep. As, yeah, as far as who's the best, you know, uh, conference outside of the Power Fives. Oh yeah, hundred percent for sure. So, well, Clint, I appreciate you sticking on with me today and, and talking a little bit of Raging Cajuns and reminiscing of our old times. Oh, exactly, man. Now I'm gonna go to the gym and work out for about an hour. There you go, man. Get it, my guy, Clint Domang, joining us. You guys stick around. James and I got plenty knee-jerk reactions when it comes to NFL Week 1 right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's another two-for-one deal from AcadianaDeals.com. Today you can get a $40 voucher to Dickie's Barbecue Bit for just $20. That's a $40 deal for half the price. Once again, visit AcadianaDeals.com today to get a $40 voucher to Dickie's Barbecue Bit for only $20. Welcome back into Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. I'm Blaine Vietar, filling in for Matt Miguez and having a great time with all you on a Monday afternoon. And of course, if you want to guys want to jump in and play in the sandbox with us and talk some football, hit us up on the game hotline at 337-706-0111. James, yesterday was glorious. I went to the LSU game Saturday night. I got to sleep in a little bit yesterday. I got up showered, I made the trek all the way from my bedroom to my couch. From there, I proceeded to sit there and watch football for the next, uh, I don't know, eight hours, and it was amazing. I loved every second of it, and I, look, those afternoon, the, the late the late games or the, you know, the, the end of the the end of the first games into the late games. That Yeah, the mid-afternoon mid-afternoon games. Mid-afternoon games into the, the later games were um, a lot of Fun watching the end of the Cincinnati game, watching the the Vikings game was a, was a great time. What, where, where did you sit yesterday? What was your uh, routine on a NFL kickoff Sunday? Usually for me, I just kind of watched it on my couch. But my friend invited me over to his house, and 
watch the Saints come back, and then we were kind of flipping back and forth between the Packers-Vikings game, and by that point, I, I had kind of went back to my house, and I was flipping back and forth between Packers-Vikings and then Chiefs-Cardinals, and it feels like right now, look at the Packers. There's some big losers after week one. I, look, what I, what I told you in the first segment of this show, Knee-jerk reactions, right? I just said it coming into this segment. As of right now, they're the big losers. Right. What, what did they do last year after getting walloped by the Saints in the first in, in the first game of the season? They recovered. And it, it's the same thing with Aaron Rodgers last year. games last year. Yeah. You know, that's I, I'm not buying it quite yet. I don't think that's a team for me that I think's really falling off. Team for me that I'm like, eh, they, they just feel like, they, they're not going to recover, and you're going to tell me I'm crazy. Like, how can you bet against Bill Belichick? But it's the, it's the Patriots. They look all out of sorts yesterday. Didn't look comfortable. Mac Jones is banged up now. I don't. That, that's not a team for me that I feel like it can tend. No weapons on offense. Tell, tell me who scares you on that offense. On the Patriots? Yeah. No one really. Because Devontae Parker, he's had all the time to prove himself. Never has. You he's know. a guy that you kept waiting to break out with the Dolphins. Yeah, and that's why they that's why they ultimately traded him because it was like, look, we've already got our guys now, and you're not one of them. And he was somebody that you saw, you know, have have splashes, a couple big games here or there, just never really did it for me. Um, big losers. How about Baker Mayfield? You mentioned that the Panthers, Browns get off to a, a good start. Baker brings Panthers back into contention, only to get their heart shattered by Cade York. What was it? A fifty-eight yard field goal? Yeah, it was to win for it was Cleveland. Close to sixty. I mean, yeah, that fifty-eight yarder. Big losers right there for me. How about the Titans? Letting the Giants come back on them in the second half, and they lose by one <laughs> on a missed field goal. Right? On we a, talked a, about a bunch yeah. of missed field goals yesterday. I I don't have a whole lot of work. I think both of those teams are probably not going to be very good this year. Um, no, I'm not impressed with the Titans. You know, that's a, that's a Tennessee Titans team that uh, was. You know, good the last few years. Contended. They seem to have taken a step back. I, I don't know if um, they have quite as much talent as they used to. I also give you the Pittsburgh Steelers. I know T.J. White got injured. He had, you know, he's going to be out, what, six to eight weeks now. But that was a gutsy win. The way they put they put pressure on Burrow all all game long, forced him to some bad decisions, pick six, turned Burrow over five times altogether. I know Jamar got his. What he caught ten balls for about a buck sixty. He eventually got his. Yeah, one one twenty nine and a touchdown. One twenty nine and a touchdown. It, but that was a that was a game that many people thought that they were going to lose. The way they battled, let Cincinnati come back and ultimately found a way to win. I was impressed by the Pittsburgh Steelers. I'm not saying that they're going to contend this year, especially with a, a quarterback situation that's going to be in limbo all season long. Anytime you draft somebody like a Kenny Pickett and you you toy with the idea of starting him, yet you still go with you know a guy who's considered a bust in Trubisky, I mean, why not just go with Pickett? Why not just play for the future now? What's the worst? What you going to do this year at best? At best, what you going to do? Go 8-9? and nine? Who cares? Who cares if you go six and eleven? What's the difference between eight and nine or six and eleven? If it means you're going to be better for years to come. Well, that's the thing is, 
I think you you keep him sitting if you really want to develop him. You don't want to throw him out to the wolves right now, especially when you got somebody that has gone to the playoffs in Mitchell Trubisky. Oh, you're in, you're on that Mitchell Trubisky train. I'm not on the hype train. I'm just saying you got to give him more credit than he do, than people are giving to him because he went to the playoffs and played decently against the Saints when he had Matt Nagy as his coach. Two other teams victorious that we thought would be good proved it out yesterday to me. The Minnesota Vikings. The New Look Vikings were were deadly. The way that offense functioned yesterday, the way they moved around Jettis all over the field to find mismatches, to get the football out to him in space, and he made play after play after play. That's going to be a team that's going to be really good. You mentioned them against the Packers. I, I think that the Vikings are going to be awfully good with that offense. And, of course, the Chargers. I mean, we, you know what you're going to get out of that bunch. Very talented. Also nice to see Khalil Mack look better than he did the last couple years, more explosive. I know Keenan Allen's injury. We'll, we'll see how that shakes up. And then, I mean, I, look, a, a lot of people are going to be pumping them up. I know they were Super Bowl champs a couple years back, but Bucks didn't do it for me last night. Couldn't finish drives. You saw, you know, Booga looked good. Fournette had over, over 100. Right, he had over a hundred. I, I thought Tom was okay. Tom's going to be better as the year goes on. He'll be fine. But that was a team that I, I figured were, were going to win. They were favored to win against the Cowboys last night. After the Dak injury, they just couldn't finish drives. Couldn't punch it in. Settled for too many field goals for me. That's a team that you know we'll have to wait and see. And of course, right now the best two teams in the league. I think by a long shot. I think everybody can agree with that. We saw how good Buffalo was on Thursday. I mean, look, Josh Allen is so fun to watch. And watching him develop and become the elite quarterback that he has become, it's just been amazing. And then Patty Mahomes is like, yeah, all right, I got rid of my best weapon. What am I, a better offense? Spread the football. He threw five touchdown passes yesterday to four different receivers. Spread the football all over the yard. Gotta love what Patty Mahomes does. That's everybody's gonna be waiting for that matchup, AFC Championship game if it plays out. That was the best football game all year last year. Yeah, was the divisional round right? Yeah, for and it kind of felt like for the last couple of years that was the best one. You know, that now is, you you were talking about the Cowboys and Bucks almost feeling like kind of two losers playing the same game. How about the Eagles and Lions? They feel like two winners to me. Yeah, I agree with that. That was that was a fun game to watch. I mean the the Eagles. They let the ball rip yesterday all over the field, too. I thought that offense was fun to watch. They got Hollywood Brown involved in their game plan. I think that the, the Lions surprised me. Lions, Lions fought in that game, came back, was down, came back, and ultimately lost. But that, that's a team that um, I, I think can make a little noise, especially in that division. Yeah, I think a lot of their games are going to be close. And they had won three games last year. I think they're going to bump it up to about six or seven and have about four or five of their losses be within a score like it was last year. Like, I think the Lions are a little bit of a come up this year in 2022. And the 49ers and the Bears, we're going to say both disappointments week one. I know the. the I was going to say it was also in the elements. The bad field. They were playing in bad a puddle. Field, bad field. I, I get that. I, I, th- that's going to be a, a situation in San Francisco to keep an eye on, though. Um, I, I don't think, uh, you know, a lot of people probably nationally are down on the Saints after the, the situation yesterday. But, look, 
resiliency, finding a way to win against your biggest rival on the road to start the season after you slept walk for three quarters. Hey, give me the Saints in the top ten right now in the NFL. I think they're going to get better and better. Jameis found his footing. They're going to be a scary team down the stretch. We're going to have to take a quick break, but when we come back, our guy Alex Onstead is going to join us, and we're going to break down some college football from a national landscape perspective right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Speaking of giveaways, time is running out for you to score tickets to see the Houston Astros live in person. Go register in the Game Rewards Club to win four tickets to see Houston take on Tampa Bay Saturday, October 1st. They will even throw in a couple of ballpark tickets and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. This is the last Astros weekend getaway of the regular season. Astros weekend getaways are powered by Butcher AC, La Marina Houston downtown, and the Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Welcome back into Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. I'm Blaine Vietar filling in for Matt Miguez and having a great time with you on a Monday morning post opening week of NFL football season. We got to talk some college gridiron action. So, with the quickness, we're going to head out to the game hotline and bring on my guy, Alex Onstead of Saturday Down South. Alex, how are you on this Monday afternoon? I'm good. Can't complain. How are you guys? Can't complain either. It's been a wild and wacky week two in college football, led first by App State taking down Texas A&M in College Station. Give me some initial reactions to that one. Yeah, so that was one I actually picked Texas A&M to, or App State, I should say, to to cover the spread, which was, I think it was around 19. I think App State's always a tough team, and they're never afraid to play, you know, a high major team. So I wasn't super surprised by them competing, from, but them actually pulling out the win, I was a little surprised. Um, Texas A&M's offense looks putrid, to say the least, and that's going to be an issue going forward if they don't make changes. Just about how quick do you think those folks in College Station are grow anxious against Jimbo? I know he just signed the big deal. It's going to be really hard to get rid of him this quick, but with the expectations they had and with the schedule that they have coming up, you could easily see the writing on the wall that we might not be calling them Texas eight and four for longer. Yeah, no, they could mess around and go six and six this year if they don't watch out or improve their offense because that schedule is brutal. And I think, like you said, those fans are expecting a lot. And yes, he's recruiting at an elite level, but at what point does it not matter because he's not winning the big games? So, I mean, he beat Alabama last year, which helped a lot, but they're going to grow sick of him very quickly if he doesn't straighten it out. The other big upset of the weekend is Marshall going into South Bend and beating Notre Dame. Marcus Freeman 0-3 in his coaching career as the head man at Notre Dame so far. Uh, what do you make of that in South Bend? Is, is it just kind of a mess up there right now? Yeah, I mean, I didn't think it would be a mess going into the season. I thought they'd have a good team. I didn't think they were top five worthy like the rankings showed. I think it was more... They were more of a 10 and 2, maybe a 9 and 3 team. They had a, a tougher schedule than last year. They still have some tough games, you know, coming. It's not getting much easier. But I, I was a little surprised that at home they had no offense. I know they didn't have an offense against Ohio State, which is a little more expected. But yes, Marshall's a decent Sun Belt team. But I mean, it's Notre Dame we're talking about, so I don't I don't know where to go from there because Marcus Freeman's supposed to get his first win. He's 0 and 3 now. 
the first uh, the game that everybody watched early in the day is Alabama and Texas, and Alabama eked out of Austin with the one-point victory. Is that more of an indication that maybe Alabama's not what we thought they were going to be, or is Texas maybe back? Um, I would definitely not say they're back. I think if Quinn Ewers is healthy, that's, that's a pretty good team. Um, but they're one of those teams that plays up and down the competition. They've been doing it for a few years now. They've been playing Oklahoma close, and then they blow it at the end. You saw them last year play down to Kansas's level and actually lose that game, which is crazy. They're playing one-point games with Kansas and Alabama now. But, yeah, I think Alabama, they're probably not where they need to be right now, but it's Nick Saban, it's Alabama. I think they'll be fine. Um, if, if that's as bad as they're going to look, then – I think they're going to win a lot of games as usual. After two weeks, uh, the Sun Belt is looking pretty strong as far as non-Power 5 conferences. Where do you think they fall in the pecking order of non-Power uh, 5s? Uh, they have to be considered for at least the number one or two group of five conference, um, them and the American. It's kind of tough to say top to bottom if they're better than the American, but I think at the top right now, they're, they're making a strong case to being you know, the, the top group of five conference. In the SEC, you know, we knew, you know, Georgia had a huge week one win against Oregon and Bama, you know, might have struggled a little bit, as you mentioned, against uh, Texas and they're still Bama. The, the one team nobody seems to want to talk about that's playing really good football right now is Arkansas. This is a team that likes to play physical. Uh, it seems like Sam Pittman has them playing better and better each year he's been there. It, it seems like a scary team down the stretch. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think they're a scary team. For sure, but I mean the one problem with them is the problem with most of the SEC West. Their schedule's a gauntlet. Um, you know they're going to be playing teams like Ole Miss, even a school like LSU. I'm not sure if they have them at home or not. I mean those are losable games almost every week. Once you get really into conference play, they just beat South Carolina, which is good. But you expect them to win that game at home. I think at the end of the day, they're going to win nine or ten games after the bowl game, but. It's just hard to say that they're going to beat Alabama. Yes, they have them at home. I just, it's hard to put them past, you know, the step they're at into the next phase. Looking at the SEC East now, and I mean, look, Georgia's the clear cut uh, favorite there. Make no bones about it. Tennessee, though, with a nice victory on the road against Pitt this week, battled out against a really good Pitt team out of the ACC. Is Tennessee ready to take that next step as a program? Uh, I think they'll take the next step. But that next step doesn't include beating Georgia, in my opinion. I believe they do have them. I think they have them at home this year. That's going to make a big difference. But either way, that's I don't I don't see them beating Georgia. Uh, Georgia looks like the clear cut best team in the country to this point. It's obviously only been two weeks. I think they take the next step and they win, you know, nine or ten games. But again, I think they're just in that Arkansas tier two level behind, you know, Georgia and then Alabama. So. Yes, to answer your question, I would say they will take that next step. And that next step might include that same tier as Kentucky. It would be kind of crazy to say, but Kentucky's been really good the last couple years. They play physical football. They went into the swamp this weekend and knocked off Billy Napier and the Florida Gators, who had a great week one win against Utah. Is Kentucky a team that could really challenge in the East as well, or you kind of put them in that Tennessee level? No, yeah, I think they're also in that same level. I think they will challenge because they're so physical and they play a different type of football than Tennessee, which matches up a little better against Georgia, I think. But 
at the end of the day, Georgia is just as physical and a lot more talented than Kentucky. So I just don't see them having enough on offense at Kentucky to beat Georgia, but I think they're that next year as well. Head out west right now, and uh, you know a lot of people picked Utah to come out of the Pac-12, and that that kind of went out of shambles after Week One's loss. Uh, USC so far this year has been dynamite on offense. Put up 48 again this week against Stanford. Have you liked what you saw against this new look Trojans group? Yeah, I mean they haven't played anyone yet. Obviously, uh, Stanford hasn't won. I don't think they've beaten a Power Five team in like a year. Someone said. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's. It's not very good. And, you know, USC is going to – they have a pretty easy schedule out there in the Pac-12, and now that Notre Dame's not very good, really hard to see them losing a game outside of the game at Utah. But, you know, they, if they run the table, they have a shot at the playoffs, obviously. I'm impressed with the way Lincoln Riley's come in and, you know, brought his offensive mastermind right to the, the West Coast right away. Lincoln Riley getting the boost. You know, I mean, Lincoln Riley uh. – in Lincoln, they're going to go ahead and cut ties with Scott Frost. Is that a program that's even winnable anymore? I mean, Nebraska's just a tough landscape. I mean, they're not, they don't have a fertile recruiting ground there. Is that somewhere that somebody could win in major college football? Yeah, I think somebody can definitely win in major college football. I know Paul Feinbaum today talked about Urban Meyer being the only guy that can come in and save them, which – I think he could obviously come in and win just about anywhere in the college level, but I don't think it has to be like a specific person. I think it's just got to be somebody who can, you know, take those rebuilding years and actually learn from them and make adjustments. Scott Frost has been doing the three and nine thing every year where he almost beats everyone, but when is he, when was he going to take that next step? He obviously didn't, but I think a few adjustments and they have the talent to win six, seven games right away. And, I mean, there's no reason they can't be winning nine, ten, nine, ten games in a few years. Wrapping up right now with Alex Onstead of Saturday Down South. Alex, I know it's uh, only been two weeks, and we kind of been doing the theme today on the show that uh, knee-jerk reactions. You know, everybody loves those to to have the hot takes. Uh, after two weeks, uh, who, who's a dark horse contender that you could see uh, that nobody's talking about right now that might be able to make a run at the playoffs? Um, I think you have to look at. USC, honestly, out west because, yeah, there there's some other Big Ten teams I think have a shot too, especially in the Big Ten East. Um, I'll get to that in a second. But I, I would say USC because their schedule is so easy. Originally it was Utah for me. I would, I'll go with USC now. I think Oklahoma has a slight chance. Um, their schedule is a little tougher. I think they may trip up a few times. And then, obviously, the Big Ten East, it's obviously Ohio State's the favorite, but then you have Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State, who are all fairly capable talent-wise of you know making a big run. Michigan made the playoffs last year. There's no reason why one of those teams can't compete for the playoffs as well, so those are other ones I look at. Looking at Clemson, talking about knee-jerk reactions, I mean, we got to watch them on, on Monday night last week, and you know, they kind of look ho-hum for the first half till they were able to pull away on a victory. Uh, they, they played Furman at home this week, and again, not very impressive looking. Is, is Clemson okay? Are they, they still going to be the clear front runners in the ACC? Uh, I think to answer your question, yes and no. I don't think they'll be okay as far as making the playoff, or and if they do make the playoff, I don't think they'll win any games in it. Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. The, the ACC is obviously not the strongest conference, but there's some teams that can definitely challenge them. NC State, Wake Forest with Sam Hartman back. 
that's going to be a good game when they play them. But their D-line is just almost too good, even with the their offense is playing, to, to lose one of these ACC games. And Notre Dame's now down. They're another team like USC where it's hard to see them losing because of their schedule. But I'm, like you said, I'm very concerned with their offense, and I think they're going to need to make a quarterback change eventually as well. Alex, my guy, I appreciate the time as always. Hopefully we can catch up more as the season progresses. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for having me. Alex Onstead of Saturday Down South joined us and broke down things from a national level when it came to college football. I know we like to harp on the SEC and Sunbelt around these parts, but sometimes it's good to take a peek at what's going on in other areas. So appreciate Alex joining us and breaking it down with us. We're going to take our last break of the show. When we come back, James and I are going to put a nice bow on everything and get you ready for Monday Night Football right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. From the Louisiana Raging Cajuns to the latest with the New Orleans Saints and Pelicans. Miguez and Mesh cover it all. I'm not worried. Uh, I think it's something that I can get under control. Now back to more Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. The Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues. That's because once you become a member of our rewards club, you will have the opportunity to win some excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou or a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or even a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of the rewards club on the game. 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free, it's simple, so sign up today. Welcome back in for the last time on a Monday edition of Crunch Time with Miguez and Besh. I'm Blaine Vietar filling in for Matt Miguez, who's celebrating his recent wedding. Congrats, Matt. Who the hell gets married during football season? That's another story for another day. We had a great time today talking college football, Cajuns, Tigers, big big landscape stuff when it comes to college football, but also some NFL. NFL got started yesterday. Action-packed day. Had a blast watching that, following the fantasy action throughout the day. And guess what? It doesn't stop. And the game will have you covered tonight, right, James? Everybody can tune in and watch or watch or listen to the ball game tonight right here on the game as the Denver Broncos will take on the Seattle Seahawks. Russ versus his old squad. It should be a good one. Denver, six-point favorites over under 44 points. Who you got, James? Oh, I'm taking... Denver easily, and I'm hammering that minus six and a half for for Denver. Hey, give me the over too. Give, yeah, give me, give me Denver the over and the over. I feel like um, it's gonna be a like thirty-five to ten game. Like in in that, and it feels like me. That's lowballing Denver. Like I, I feel like they're just gonna let Russ go crazy and hopefully let him score like forty plus by themselves, and then Seattle may score like a late touchdown or two to try and maybe make it a little more respectable, but. It feels like you should hammer the over for that because it, it shouldn't be close. Fantasy guys, I'm looking forward tonight. Cortland Sutton, I think he's going to be Russ's number one target all season long. I think he gets a guy who could have a big game. I think uh, on the, the Seahawks side, I mean, maybe you want to rely on somebody like Rashad Penny. I think this is going to be a game where they're not going to be able to rush the football too much, though. Uh, if I'm a betting man, I probably stay away from Seattle's uh, players on prop bets and as well as fantasy. Yeah, same here. If they're going to go down early, you're not really going to be able to hand it off to Rashad. If you're going to get him the ball, you may have to just throw it on dump-offs. But it, it it's not looking good for Seattle in my eyes. I think Denver 
handles them. For sure. We had a great time today on a Monday. I want to thank Wilson Alexander of The Advocate for joining us, as well as Clint Doming. Talk a lot of UL stuff. And our guy, Alex Onstead, where we talk some college football. I'll be back with you all tomorrow, filling in for Matt. Ton of fun to get to right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.